0: You are listening to the Stillbirth Matters Podcast, presented by the Star Legacy Foundation, a national nonprofit founded on the belief that every pregnancy deserves a happy ending. Visit us online at starlegacyfoundation.org.
1: My name is Lindsay Wimmer, and thank you for listening to the Stillbirth Matters podcast. It is my honor to be um, talking today to Anna colleagues who is a um, stillbirth mom and incredible advocate for um, those who are impacted by baby loss throughout the country, um, but especially in her community near Chicago. And it's an honor to have her here today. So thank you for taking the time, Anna. Of course. Thank you for having me. It's, yes. it's my honor to be here. So to, to start off with, you are... Um, our facilitator for the Spanish-speaking support group. Tell us a little bit about um, that group and, and some of the you know maybe the um, the growth or the the positive experiences that you've seen from um, individuals who have been able to get on and have maybe for the first time that interaction with someone who's had a similar experience but also speaks the same language that they do.
0: Yeah, um, well. It has definitely been interesting and very powerful to be that support person for the families I have um, been able to share with and and provide support for. Um, You said it, like they have identified in the group. It's great to be here with someone who speaks my language and someone who understands my culture. Um, I think there are unique aspects of Latino culture um, that play into baby loss um, and the grieving of that loss. Um, that aren't that you know it's unique, right? They're they're unique um, to Latino culture, and not to say that all Latino cultures are the same, of course. But but just like everyone's unique experience is different, um, there are the common themes, the common threads um, that we kind of all share. And I know that just in general, right? Like it's comfortable to to be around your people, to talk to your people and to have that kind of shared language, shared experience, shared culture, um, shared ideas of what it is to be a parent, um, of what it is to be pregnant, uh, what grief looks like, how life is, um, life and death are, are celebrated and mourned. I think that the, um, Taboo around baby loss is a lot stronger in Latino cultures. Um, And it's already such an isolating experience for everyone. But then when you are coming from a culture where it's very much implied or said outright, like move on, get over it, just have another one. Um, And I couldn't explain why that is the case or where that comes from. But um, I think it probably, you know, historically, like in the United States, like it used to be much more taboo and we've made a lot of progress in that area. Still a lot more work to do, of course, but um, it's less and less of a taboo. and something that's easier to talk about. So it's just, um, like I'm from Honduras and they say that the Honduran healthcare system is 50 years behind. So I think it's just, you know, that sort of perinatal bereavement follows that trend, right? And hopefully it's not 50 years behind, although it is really terrible, um, the lack of support available in Honduras specifically, and I'm sure that's the case for for a lot of um, different Latino countries. Um, but yeah, they I mean, they've shared how it's so nice to be speaking their own language, um, and to feel heard uh, from that cultural perspective and have someone that sort of understands that and that can relate to their experience from the cultural aspect of things. Um, On the last support group, there was uh, a family that was discussing um, some supernatural sort of ideas around their baby. And I thought that really seemed like a very uniquely Latino thing almost. And like something that I haven't heard other families talk about in that way in groups that are made up more so of white populations. Um, So that, that was really interesting, but yeah, I think that Hopefully, I think that answers the question, right?
1: Yeah, you mentioned kind of those, those cultural um, influences and the there's specific stigmas and, and taboos within a, a culture, um, within the society as well. Mm-hmm. When I was in nursing school, I was um, frequently taught, and you can correct me if this is, is not, not right, but I was taught that um, Latino cultures prefer to turn to their family as their primary source of support. But if if that's true, first of all, but then secondly, if that is the case and turning to your family, you're getting these maybe not very supportive messages or that that um pressure, whether it's implied or just um said outright that you should hurry up and, and move on. Um how that has to create a lot of um extra conflict if if there's not that kind of support within the family, but you also have that cultural um, pressure not to seek support outside the family
0: yes that is a, that is a huge challenge and and yes I would say that's correct um, Latinos are generally speaking very family oriented and um, you know we talk about it it takes a village to, to raise a child and I think that concept is very strong in Latino families, right now, very relevant. I don't know if you've seen Encanto.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: so like that is true, right? Like it's like the families all together and they do everything together and they're helping each other and supporting each other. Um, lots of really amazing themes in that movie, but just specific to that sort of, it takes a village, you know, we're together, we support each other. Um, it's, it's true, but then when it comes to, this topic that's so taboo, then it makes you feel that much more alone because the people who normally provide that support for you, who are there for you, um, aren't in this way. And you're told to not talk about it, not think about it, move on. So you also are basically kind of shamed into just being quiet about it. And so then you don't seek support even externally amongst your your friends,
1: maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. And it would only serve to, to add to that sense of isolation that you mentioned, mm-hmm. yeah. And I, I think for women, especially it's um,
0: common in, in Latino culture for women to be wider, and I wanna say submissive, but that's not the right word. Um, But like, do as you're told. Um, There are certainly lots of strong, powerful, vocal Latino women um, in and outside of the United States. But broadly speaking, it is very common for for women to just be more more, um, subdued and quiet about, um their feelings their discomfort and just kind of like suck it up and just keep it moving um and so if your support system is is telling you that yeah and with regarding this topic like that's how you should be then then you you comply you do that
1: yeah that makes sense that makes sense we've talked in the, the past about how so many things about baby loss makes people uncomfortable. And that, that obviously goes hand in hand with the taboos and the, the lack of safe spaces or, or people that are willing to hear some of these, these hard discussions. And in all those complexities you just described, just add to, to more of that discomfort. I know that you are um, very passionate about a lot of the disparities that we see in baby loss and beyond, but but there's also a lot of overlap in our discomfort with, with those topics as as well. So talk to us a little bit just about from your your perspective, the the impact of, of those disparities on pregnancy health and outcomes and and how that also folds into. the the disparities that we see in the the support that families receive after a loss? I know that's that's a a lot.
0: (laughs) That's that's a lot. Yeah, that's a big, big one to address. Um, And so, like you said, like, there are disparities, that is clear. Uh, Black and brown babies die a lot more than white babies. And those disparities exist at their at their root, because of racism in the like systemic racism and and the implicit bias um, that people of color, color face in their pregnancies, and then that extends into their journeys after they've lost a baby. Um, we can't talk about prevention of, of stillbirth and, and perinatal loss without talking about those disparities and the racism that exists and how that contributes um, to the fact that more babies of color are dying than white babies. And and some of those are easier to talk about than others. Um, It's really hard for providers to be introspective and accept and acknowledge their bias and their overt or covert racism towards their patients of color. I experienced it myself in my pregnancy. Um, and that was like a num- numerous different points of contact. And um, one example is I walk into my doctor's office and she was going to give me a medication or a referral or something. I don't remember what the deliverable was, but the interaction was, uh, oh, so you're on Medicaid, right? And I said, no, I'm not, I have private insurance. But just her saying, making that statement comes like carries so much weight because she's making an assumption about my income, education, access to resources, knowledge, like my ability to take care of myself and my baby, like just that statement alone is is showing her bias that because of the way I look, she just assumed all these things about me and and my baby. Um, And so that then affects the trust that I have with my provider. and I I, 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 was, I, did have private insurance and I did have the education and knowledge and experience and, and all the right things in place for a happy, successful pregnancy um, dis- despite that poor care that is a result of that systemic or systemic racism, implicit bias, but then there are so many people who are not like me, who are people of color. And then hence we see more babies of color dying. And then the the access to the same limited access to resources, quality healthcare, quality childbirth education, quality information about safe pregnancies, all that's that, that, that is limited to people of color in their pregnancies carries on into our journeys and loss. And I, as an English speaker, and because I was already in that world before experiencing stillbirth myself, I knew about resources. I knew how to access them. I use
1: computers
0: every day. and go on the internet and know how to do research. So I was able to do all those things. But when you are layering, you're a person of color, you don't speak English, and perhaps you are of a lower literacy level or uh, don't have as easy access to technology, um, or you're not as comfortable using internet or don't know how to research things, um, what, what is there out there for you in terms of support? And then maybe, you know, you give birth in the hospital and they give you the folder, but it's in English and maybe it has one thing in Spanish, but when you open the folder and you see all this English stuff, like you just close it and you put it away because it doesn't seem like it's something that you're gonna be able to read. Um, And I think another layer of that is um, income-related issues. And there may be supports out there for Spanish-speaking families, but they're not well-known resources if they're free, maybe the there are paid ones that are more well-known because, well, they're paid and they can market more and uh, the people paying for them are disseminating that information to their counterparts who are not the Spanish-only speaking populations in the United States. Um, I tried to say that all in like, the most PC way possible. <laughs> um, did that answer the question? Do you want me yeah. to go into
1: anything more? No, I, I think it. You're you're right, and I gave you a lot, but it's a it's a very complex situation. But I think it it hopefully just just provides a little bit more context for how many layers. I, I think. That was a great word that you used. Is how many layers there are to the the challenges and the variables and the um, the different components that are, are part of all of these experiences. I know we we talk a lot about when we work with health professionals. We're talking to people who are familiar with even just the healthcare system and how to navigate that system alone, and and that can be a language in itself, and that certainly can be a culture in itself and so it it feels foreign to those who are not familiar with it and that's this is just adding even more and more um, to those layers your comment about um latino women often being um kind of encouraged to do what they're told or have that type of a demeanor obviously would would play into some of these things and and the trust elements or the, the lack of trust elements that that play into those disparities too yeah yeah um, and you're you're
0: absolutely right about the the language around healthcare care um, and I see that in the support groups as well just in people relating their experiences to me and not having the language to even describe it appropriately and and they come up you know with the best way they can to explain that but they don't n- use the proper terminology um, or medical terminology. Um, and then sometimes uh, there's there's like some Spanglish going on because their, their care that they received was largely in English. Maybe they had a translator some of the time, maybe a family member was serving as a translator, but they're not in maternal child health world. They don't know how to translate some of the words that the doctor saying in English into Spanish, um, you know, send some basic words, you know, I don't know, uterus, like, they might not know how to translate that, or they might not know in English or Spanish, like, that piece of anatomy is called that. Um, so yeah, that, that presents additional challenges. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's multi-layered. It's, you're a person of color in the United States, that's already hard enough. You don't speak English in the United States. That's another layer of challenge added on to your life. And now you've joined the Baby Loss Club. And how, what now? I, you didn't know how to access healthcare in the first place. The healthcare you were able to find wasn't provided in your language. And you, were, you received poor care because of that provider's implicit bias um now who do you go to for support you know you're not, not, not going to go ask that provider right your family isn't in the country with you all the resources you see are in English your folder's in English so you have all of these challenges just piling one on top of another and trying to navigate all of that while you're Grieving the loss of your child, absolutely, which, as you know, is in itself very
1: paralyzing, right, and, and can be very consuming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, what have you seen? Um, I know you're very connected with a lot of, of public health um, work and, and workers. What What are some things that you have seen people do that has been really successful or really made a difference in in bringing down some of these challenges or or at least helping families to um, to overcome some of those those challenges. Well, I think things
0: like like what Star Legacy is doing, right, like adding a Spanish speaking support group um, and then um, seeing other organizations focusing on providing culturally appropriate care and in the appropriate language, not just Spanish, of course, but but multiple languages, Um, I see that growing a lot. Um, And I see a, a trend towards also trying to have those supports offered by someone who looks, sounds, acts like the people they're trying to reach. Um, so, you know, like me leading the Spanish speaking support group versus you leading the Spanish speaking support group, if, you know, let's say if you spoke Spanish, correct. like having still a person who can, uh, not only speak that language, but also relate to that culture, um, and understand those, those, those nuances, um, between the differences in culture and how that may impact their journeys, um, after they've experienced their loss. Um, so I'd say that, that is an improvement and it's good to see things moving in that direction and just overall seeing and and it might be a Bader-Meinhof effect that like the more I get into this, the more I'm seeing it and the more I become aware of, or it is truly um, something that is, that, that more awareness is being brought to and more people are are coming on board with the fact that we need to fix this and and we need to work on prevention, but it's never gonna be zero. So we also need to continue to improve the support efforts. Um, And that's gonna look different for, for different populations and for different individuals and finding skilled, competent, trained people who aren't just Professionals educated in that realm um, to be able to connect with the people who need those supports.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's really, really powerful, and it, um, it's, it's very overwhelming, but it's also very simple at the same time. There's, there's a lot of work to do, but sometimes we can start small, and it doesn't always have to be, be, trying to fix the entire system all at once. Yeah, and
0: I I think um, I have also seen a shift in not necessarily trying to tackle everything top down, Um, but like let's get these community supports in place while we work on on the system stuff simultaneously because it's gonna take a long time for system level changes to impact, to happen first of all but then to impact the people who are actually affected um, by pregnancy and loss. Um, So doing both simultaneously, but but putting a lot more emphasis on providing those direct supports um, at the community level seems to be growing as well
1: that's, that's encouraging. And I, it's due in in no small part to, to you and many people like you who are really advocating and, and making sure that, um, there's, there's better awareness and understanding of exactly what that journey looks like for, for, um, people from all, all different kinds of, of cultures and walks of life, um, that, that are right beside us all the time. And I'm, I'm so grateful for, for all the work that you're doing and, and appreciate it. And I know that so many families will be, be looking to things that, that you and, and others who um, look like them, whatever that particularly looks like um, for inspiration and, and hope and knowing that they can, can move forward and hopefully that they can uh, make a difference as, as you are with so many of your, your programs and projects as well. Thank you.
0: Yeah, and in no small part due to you as well.
1: Well, <laughs> we all we all can play a part, right? We all hope that we're we're kind of doing um, doing our our piece of the the puzzle, and um, we'll will eventually hopefully get it all put together. Yeah. All right. Anything else you wanted to to cover?
0: Um, just mentioning that again, kind of thinking, like, if, if um, this is not, this is not as like, directed at providers, but it's also yeah. not directed at um, the Spanish speakers attending the group, right? Because we're talking in English, but English, yep. <laughs> I guess just like, in, I, I feel that um, or, or I've noticed a tendency, and even even with being connected with individuals for peer companionship there's been a lot of they want to talk to someone individually they don't feel comfortable talking in a group and I think that is part of that cultural taboo of we don't talk about baby loss but um I believe I imagine you believe the same that every person who experience it, experiences a loss and, and kind of no matter what stage of pregnancy they were in, should do some work to process that. That is a, a, a huge um, change and loss uh, in your life. And it's not something that should just be forgotten and swept under the rug, because like that doesn't work. And eventually in your life, that will come out in other negative ways if it's not something that you're you're processing and working on and and that process is also depending on the I guess magnitude of your loss can be a lifelong process something that you you have to continually work in I know I've you know I had Liam almost five and a half years ago and I feel that I'm still working on my grief and that journey And trying to make it a healthy journey or as healthy as possible. And there's bumps along the road all the time. Um, But daily, like it's a daily process for me. And just like our, our living children are a part of our lives every day. So are our children who are not physically here, and they're impacting our lives every day for better, for worse. And also just like living children can be a pain in our butts like so can <laughs> so the ones who are yours and that and that's that's our grief and that's like today's today's a bad grief day and it's like if we have a bad day with with a living child um and i i don't think that we can ignore that forever we can't push those feelings aside forever and it's difficult to face grief and to work through it and and get to a place where you can still have a happy, successful, great life. Um, My sort of internal mantra when I'm working with peer companions or in the support group is like, I wanna help this individual, this family reach a place in their journey where grief and joy coexist, and that looks different for every family that I work with, every family that I talk to, and trying to to support them and give them ideas and options, definitely not telling anyone what to do one way or another, because everyone's journey is different, but here's some things that work for me, here's some things that work for other people, well, oh, you, you haven't shared your loss with your family yet that happened a month ago well let's think about that let's talk about that and and what might help lift that weight off your shoulders keeping it inside forever or telling your family (laughs) getting it off your chest um you know just kind of helping coach them through their grief um and through that journey and um the the trend of like I want to talk to someone individually like I was saying like I think that goes back to the the taboo of like well I don't want to be in a group and like share this with a whole bunch of people, um, but I do find value in the group setting too just of sharing each other's experiences and understanding that other people are are going through a similar process as you are. Um, I think is hugely helpful. I know it was for me. I know it's also not for everyone and some people do prefer that one-on-one companionship, but one way or another to seek support um, in their journeys and all the feelings are totally valid. um, And it's really helpful and important to find a person to connect with, to, to process everything that everyone's going through.
1: Very, very nicely said. I think that applies to to all of us. And we can all, anybody who has um, lived through baby loss can appreciate and and really connect with a lot of what you just said. Yeah. Well, Anna, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate your perspective and all that you do for Latino families, in particular with our Spanish speaking group, but then for so many families um, that work with Star Legacy and, and in your local groups and communities. So thank you so much for being here.
0: Thank you, Lindsay, and thank you for all the work you're doing and for including me in that work.
1: Absolutely.
0: That's all for this episode of the Stillbirth Matters podcast presented by the Star Legacy Foundation.
1: Contact us at info at to share feedback, request support, or suggest topics or guests for future podcast episodes.